Enid Mandifer tried to stand up under what she had just heard. She managed it, but her ears rang, her eyes misted. She felt as if she were drowning. The voice of Purcell Mandifer came through the fog, level and slow, with the hint of that foreign accent which nobody could identify. Now that you know that you are not really my daughter, perhaps you are curious as to why I adopted you. Curious? Was that the word to use? But this man who was not her father after all, he delighted in understatements. Enid's eyes had grown clearer now. She was able to move, to obey Purcell Mandifer's invitation to see herself. She saw him, half sprawling in his rocking chair against the plastered wall of the parlor, under the painting of his ancient friend Aaron Burr. Was the rumor true, she mused, that Burr had not really died, that he still lived and planned ambitiously to make himself a throne in America? But Aaron Burr would have to be an old, old man, a hundred years old, or more than a hundred. Purcell Mandifer's own age might have been anything, but probably he was nearer seventy than fifty. Physically, he was the narrowest of men, in shoulders, hips, temples, and legs alike, so that he appeared distorted and compressed. White hair, like combed thistledown, fitted itself in ordered streaks to his high skull. His eyes, dull and dark as a musket ball's, peered expressionlessly above the nose like a stiletto, the chin like the pointed toe of a fancy boot. The fleshlessness of his legs was accentuated by tight trousers, strapped under the insteps. At his throat sprouted a frill of lace, after a fashion twenty-five years old. At his left, on a stool, crouched his enormous son, LaRue. LaRue's body was a collection of soft-looking globes and bladders, a tremendous belly, round-kneed short legs, puffy hands, a gross bald head between fat shoulders. His white linen suit was only a shade paler than his skin, and his loose, faded pink lips moved incessantly. Once Enid had heard him talking to himself, had been close enough to distinguish the words. Over and over he had said, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. These two men had reared her from babyhood, here in this low, spacious manor of brick and timber in the Ozark country. Sixteen or eighteen years ago there had been Indians hereabouts, but they were gone, and the few settlers were on remote farms. The Mandifers dwelt alone with their slaves, who were unusually solemn and taciturn for Negroes. Purcell Mandifer was continuing. I have brought you up as a gentleman would bring up his real daughter, for the sole and simple end of making her a good wife. That explains, my dear, the governess, the finishing school at St. Louis, the books, the journeys we have undertaken to New Orleans and elsewhere. I regret that this distressing war between the states, and he paused to draw from his pocket his enameled snuffbox, should have made recent junkets impracticable. However, the time has come, and you are not to be despised. Your marriage is now to befall you. Marriage, mumbled LaRue, in a voice that Enid was barely able to hear. His fingers interlaced like fat white worms in a jumble. His eyes were for Enid, his ears for his father. Enid saw that she must respond. She did so. You have chosen a husband for me? Purcell Mandifer's lips crawled into a smile, 
very wide on his narrow blade of a face, and he took a pinch of snuff. Your husband, my dear, was chosen before ever you came into this world, he replied.